Good morning, friends. Today's message, Enthusiastic, Reluctant, and Divided. My text for today comes from Luke chapter um, 9, verses 57 to 62. As they were going on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, these words uh, contain three little brief snapshots, if you will, taken as Jesus walked along the road. Now, if you back up a few verses in Luke 9 to verse 51, we learn that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was determined to go there, even though he knew what awaited him. Because he was the Son of God, he knew in advance that when he got there, he would be betrayed, falsely accused, convicted of crimes he hadn't committed, beaten, scourged, spit on, finally crucified. And instead of running away, he, as scripture says, set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem in obedience to the will of God. And as he walked along, three would-be disciples met him. Each wanted to follow, but each has a hesitation, a convenient excuse. They wanted to be disciples, but they were not yet ready to pay the price. As we consider these brief snapshots, we're going to discover that these convenient excuses are amazingly contemporary. And the call of Jesus in the 21st century is the same as it was 2,000 plus years ago. Follow me, no deals, no conditions, no excuses. Well, let's first of all consider counting the cost. Again, Scripture says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, we would probably call this first guy the enthusiastic disciples. And although I can't prove it, I kind of think he was young, maybe in his late teens or early 20s. And There's some good things to say about him. He's obviously sincere in what he says, and he's pretty definite. He says, I will follow you, not I might follow you, or I'm thinking about follow you. And he is unconditional wherever you go. Now, this is all good because there is far too much caution in the church today. Too many just sit back and wait instead of jumping into the battle for Jesus. We kind of want to see how things go before we commit ourselves. But God bless this young guy. He didn't wait. He just jumped up, volunteered to follow Jesus anywhere. On the other hand, I find it interesting that Jesus didn't say, thank you, or welcome, new disciple. In fact, Jesus does not seem overly impressed by the enthusiasm this guy expresses. Now, as I read between the lines, I kind of picture this guy saying something like, I'd like to join the circus. I mean, he's attracted by the crowds. He's amazed by the miracles. He's astounded by the teaching. He loves it when he hears about Jesus walking on the water and the whole loaves and fishes miracle. I mean, who wouldn't want to follow a guy like that who could raise the dead or turn water into wine? Now, don't get me wrong. This man is sincere in his desire, but he has not yet counted the cost. And that is where the words of Jesus become so very powerful. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And guess what, friends? This is, this is literally true. 
Jesus owned nothing but the clothes on his back. He never owned a home, never had a bank account, never had a place he called his own. He realized that we were really called to follow a homeless man. Now, he had none of the things that we take for granted. No home, no car, no computer, no pension plan, no retirement, no investments. He lived day to day trusting in God to provide for his needs. He grew up in poverty and never rose far above it during his earthly life. He traveled from place to place, depending entirely on the generosity of his followers for food. Now, Jesus is challenging this enthusiastic young man to count the cost before he signs up. I mean, I can imagine Jesus saying, if you follow me, you'll have a stone for a pillow and not much more. We're going to get up each day not knowing where our food will come from. If you stay with me long enough, you're going to run into some big time trouble. There's some powerful people who wish I was dead. Sooner or later, they're not going to they're going to want to kill me. And you might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. I mean, the road ahead is hard and worse is yet to come. So do not be fooled by the big crowds. They're going to vanish like the fog in the morning. Uh, they don't understand who I am and why I came. I don't want any thrill seekers or good time Charlies on my team. If you follow me, you are going to give up all of your earthly security and trust me to take care of you. So are you in or out? Well, lest we think that Jesus is not serious, consider the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians four eleven to 13 To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Now, think about that last sentence for a moment. We're called the scum of the earth. That's what we are. And it's always been that way since the very beginning. Now, I'm not making a moral judgment. I'm just simply stating the fact, but it's not that way for followers of Jesus Christ in Haiti, Nigeria, Sri Lanka, China. I mean, Christ followers in those countries can identify with those words of Jesus and Paul better than we can. To say that is not to condemn our own prosperity or to suppose that poverty is morally superior to wealth. It isn't. And Christians in those countries are working diligently to raise their own standards of living. But we here in America... Uh, and it doesn't make much difference which president we have. Uh, sometimes we take our prosperity as a kind of spiritual birthright, as if we deserve to live in this, like this, simply because of who we are and where we are. Our problem may be that we have become altogether too comfortable with the status quo. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to explain to this very enthusiastic disciple. We're not supposed to be comfortable here. We are citizens of heaven living as pilgrims and strangers on this earth. We are never going to feel at home here. Now, maybe some of us are getting too comfortable and forgetting that we are resident aliens who are on our way to heaven. Now, I love the words of Corey Ten Boom. A true disciple, she said, has shallow tent pegs. Now, why shallow? Because we're moving on in the morning. So don't pity Jesus for having no place to raise his head. Pity the person so chained to a mortgage that they can't respond to Jesus' call. And don't pity Jesus for sleeping next to a campfire. Pity the person who sold sold to a career that they cannot follow Jesus to a foreign land. And don't pity disciples who are called the scum of the earth. Pity those enslaved to the world's opinions. Do not pity the meek, for one day they will inherit the earth. And second, no delays. He says in verses 59 and 60, To another man follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Now, we might call this guy the reluctant disciple. Unlike the first one who volunteered, Jesus calls this man personally. His answer on one level seems reasonable. I mean, surely we'd all understand the need to properly bury our parents. I mean, what kind of child would not want to honor his parents that way? Now, we can say this much in his favor. He was sincere, serious, and evidently more thoughtful than the first guy who seemed quite caught up in the excitement of the moment. He had tried to count the cost, and that's all good. Now, the first statement, let me go and bury my father, does seem puzzling. In the first century, the Jews buried the dead almost immediately, usually the same day. It's hard to understand that if it means that the father died at, let's say, 10 a.m. and the man is talking with Jesus at 11 a.m. and is saying something like this, I got to do a funeral at 2.30, but I can, I can be on the job by 3. Now, it's possible that this is the meaning, but it does not seem likely. We do know from the Old Testament and from the readings in the Talmud that the Jews took the responsibility of burying the dead very seriously. If a son properly buried his father, he was considered to have performed a good work and was even excused from certain religious duties during that period. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 5.8 that if a man does not care for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. So it would not seem as if Jesus is attempting to pit a man against his own family. Now, there's another way to understand this phrase. Bury my father may mean that the father is elderly and near death, and the son feels the need to take care of his father until his death and then to properly take care of his estate. However, it may also mean that the son wants to stay with his father until his father dies, even if it is some distance in the future. In that case, the man is making an excuse that allows him to delay following for a long period of time. Well, in any case, the reply of Jesus appears very harsh. Let the dead bury their own dead. Sounds almost blunt. And what could it mean? I mean, how can dead people bury other dead people? Well, the answer is that death comes in several varieties. There is physical death and then there is spiritual death. In Jesus' mind, anyone who is not following him is spiritually dead. And perhaps the real meaning is this. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. The affairs of this world are mundane compared with the importance of preaching the gospel. And it's by the preaching of the gospel that the lost are saved and the spiritually dead are, are raised to life. Now, Jesus, it seems, is telling this man that the kingdom must come first and kingdom work must take precedence over the affairs of this world. In a sense, he's presenting a challenging question to this young man. Would you rather bury the dead or raise the dead? Now, at this point, we come face-to-face with, face -face with what we might call a hard word. I mean, your family must not become an excuse not to serve the Lord. I mean, you can't say, I'll wait until the kids are older, and then I'll serve the Lord, or I'll wait till Mom is in the nursing home, and then I'll be baptized, or when the kids are out of college, then I'll serve Jesus. No, friends, those excuses are not open if you are a disciple of Jesus. I mean, there's a tension inherent in those words, and it's a tension that I cannot and would not try to resolve. But better to live with the tension than to water down the words of Jesus or to make his call less radical than it really is. When Jesus calls, I must not delay. One delay, no matter how well-intentioned, leads to another and to another and to another. And finally, we end up not going or doing anything at all. Well, third, no turning back. This is verses 61 and 62. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
I'm going to call this third guy the divided disciple, which is a contradiction in terms if you think about it. A great many effective sermons have been preached from his words, I will follow you, Lord, but first. Just consider those two simple words, Lord, but. If he really is the Lord of your life, then do not say but to him. If you want to say but, then don't call him Lord. If the first man was a volunteer and the second man a draftee, the third man would be what we might call a weekend warrior. He's ready to serve the Lord, but he wants to tie up some loose ends at home first. And his request does seem reasonable. All he wants to do is say goodbye to his parents, his friends, maybe a girlfriend, and so on. Maybe they'll throw him a farewell party and make a speech for it in his honor. I mean, no doubt there will be tears shed. A few people will question his decision, but that's to be expected, isn't it? So why can't he go home and bid his family goodbye? Well, it is not that saying goodbye is wrong. After all, Elijah granted a similar request made by Elisha, who wanted to go home, kiss his parents, and have a farewell party. So if it was okay for Elisha, why isn't it okay for this man who's setting out to follow the Lord? Well, salesmen, particularly car salesmen, know the answer. If a potential buyer says, I'm going to go home first and talk it over with my husband or wife, you know the chances are pretty good that you're never going to see that person again. You need to close the deal when the customer is in the building. Let that person leave and his cold feet will freeze over. Perhaps Jesus knew that this man was easily influenced and his family might talk him out of his decision. See, once you put your hand to the plow, don't look back. Now, plowing is hard work. It takes time and effort and concentration to keep the plow moving in the straight line. If you look a little bit to the left, you know, the mule would turn to the left. If you look a little right, the mule will wander to the right. If you look back, the mule will soon be plowing in circles. If you're going to plow for Jesus, you can't look back. You have to keep your eyes focused straight ahead. Now, evidently, this man wanted to keep the back door open. Perhaps he wanted to make a deal to protect his family, and certainly he wanted their approval. I mean, none of this is wrong. But remember the words of Jesus in Luke 14:26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, check hate in the Greek, and you're going to discover that hate is exactly what it means. But this hate does not refer to personal animosity. Being faithful to Jesus and following his call may mean that from time to time you will do things that seem to your loved ones as if you hate them. Now, you do not hate them at all, but your obedience to Jesus may cause them to think that you do. Such is the price we all must pay to be a disciple of Jesus. Let me wrap up this message with three statements of application drawn from these three men who met Jesus on the road. First of all, following Jesus, more important than personal comfort. Second, following Jesus, more important than family obligations. And third, following Jesus, more important than the approval of others. The real meaning of our text is quite plain. Following Jesus is the most important thing in life. Everything else pales by comparison. It is not an emotional, spare-of-the-moment decision. It is not a decision that can be postponed till later. It's not a phase we go through while we keep options open. Following Jesus means signing away the rights to your own life. You sign on the bottom line and let him fill in the details. It means Jesus first, no conditions, no delays, no buts, no excuses. May God help us to follow Jesus at any cost, 
without delay, no turning back, wherever he leads. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.